0: George Matheson, a brilliant man, who graduated the top of his class from the University of Glasgow in Scotland, despite of the fact that he is completely blind. Soon after his graduation, the love of his life, his fiance, came over to him and she said, "I'm leaving you. I'm not prepared to be the wife." of a blind preacher. Now, that rejection did not only devastate him at the time, it never left him. Never left him. After this devastating experience, he went on to seminary. And again, graduated in 1868, on top of his class. And after his graduation, a congregation on a coastal town of Scotland called Inland, invited him to be their preacher. And there, he served that congregation for a number of years. Totally blunt. Preached the Word of God, Sunday after Sunday. Broken heart. Preached the Word, Sunday after Sunday. In 1882, and if you're counting, that's about 14 years after his ordination, or probably close to 18 years From the time his fiancée broke up with him, his sister got married. And in the night of his sister's wedding, that past pain of that rejection seemed to flood him, flow all over him. He couldn't sleep that night. And in the midst of his sleepless night, he realized that the Lord has a word for him at his midnight. He got up, and the Lord gave him a word. Not only blessed him, but blessed millions of people. As he wrote down this beloved song. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, That in the ocean's depth its flow, My richer and fuller be. Listen to this. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. And that's what breaks me when I think about it. Think with me. A man who is brokenhearted with earthly love is able to sing of the heavenly love that never lets go. A man who's blind physically, wrought of the rainbow glimpses through the rain. A man whose pain had not disappeared or dissipated, it, but his perspective has been changed and been transformed into a melody that God gave him at his midnight this is a song of a man who learned to persevere in the midst of trials now this is the second from the last of the series of messages from the epistle of james I'm titling it 12 evidence of faith Here he comes to help us see the importance of perseverance and patience in the midst of life's trials. And it's found in James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Here the apostle James circles back to the very first one, the very first evidence of faith. In James chapter 1, verses Two to four. Consider it all what? Joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials. He comes back. Something you need to remember, as the Apostle James being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, the church, the believers, were facing one of the most and the severest of all persecutions, and many of them are being martyred, and James himself, soon after he wrote this epistle, he was martyred himself. And so, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this persecution, he writes these words. He tells us that the way you're going to experience perseverance and patience is when you look forward to that day, the day when God will right all wrongs, the day when God will perfectly heal the world in which we live. When God will fix all broken things, when God will restore all that was lost, He is saying to them, let the expectations of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ be the source of your patience. Let the hope of that day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ be the source of your perseverance. Trace the rainbow, through the rain. What does James mean by the word patience or perseverance? That word is coming out of the military, uh, out of soldiering. It means stand your ground when you feel you're running away. In the world of soldiering, a soldier who gets caught in the crossfire, shells are raining all around him. And that soldier, when he is in that kind of a situation, feels like being anywhere else except where he is. <laughs> but the victory will not be won this way. And he is saying, you must carry on the fight. You must never give up. You must never quit. You must never surrender. You keep on going because the victory is around the corner. Amen. Now, some of you might be going through tough times right now. Some of you are experiencing some harassment in the workplace, some are experiencing being ostracized, other experiencing mocking by non-believing members of the family, or you might be having an unbelieving spouse who is making it life difficult for you. Whatever it is you're going through, listen to me very carefully, please. Sometimes that attack can be so relentless. Sometimes that the experience of that suffering can be traumatic. Sometimes it's unbearable. But you must never give up, because the Word of God for you today is this. Stand your ground. Be patient on the fire. You might be facing a betrayal of a business partner, and you feel like the world is coming to an end. Stand your ground. Be patient on the fire. Don't run and don't give up. Don't surrender. God is waiting for you to come to Him in prayer. And the question you must ask him at those times, God, what is it that you want me to learn? What is it you want to teach me? You see, whenever we go through trials and suffering that is not of our own making, and you have several questions that you want to ask God, I have a hunch, I can't prove it from the Scripture, that James may have asked those questions, because he appears to me at least he's answering some of these questions. And the question you're asking God in those times is, God, (laughs) how long can I be patient? When your world is collapsing around you, you can say, Lord, I am tempted to take matters into my own hands. God, I've prayed for so long, and I can't seem to find an answer. James teaches us here the secret of patience, the secret of perseverance. Perseverance. It's the secret of standing your ground and never surrender and never give up. And he gives us three examples. The first example he gives us is that of the farmer. And the second example is that of the prophets. And the third example he gives us is of Job. He singles him out. Look at verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. A farmer would be foolish to plant the seed on Monday and then go out the following Monday looking for a harvest. He would be foolish, right? He would be foolish if he sows the seed and a couple of weeks later he digs up those seedlings to find out how it's going. Where is it now? That's something we do. <laughs> there is something here especially about farming in Israel. They plant in the fall time. In the Middle East, because you get an early rain. In fact, the Bible, some of your translations says the early and latter rain. The early rain that comes in around September, October, comes in and really kind of moisten the soil and prepares it for the planting, for the seed to grow in. Then the farmer would wait till the springtime around March and April where the latter rain comes in, the spring rain comes in to mature The harvest. And between September, October, March, April, uh, May, the farmer waits patiently. (laughs) He waits for the crop. Because the farmer knows that the harvest will be worth the wait. (laughs) Because the farmer knows that the joy of harvesting of his crop is going to make the wait worth the wait. Uh, Some of you probably are saying... Michael, that's a wonderful metaphor. That just sounds good. But how is this going to help me with what I'm going through right now? Listen carefully. I want you to remember, God is producing a harvest in every one of you. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's producing a harvest in you. God wants your life to be fruit-filled because He wants your life and mine to be productive for His kingdom. And one of the ways... He's able to bring about a great harvest is when He permits trials that comes our way. But here's our natural tendency, is to be impatient. In fact, the greatest challenge every time I preach on the subject that God put me through something that tests me. (laughs) And I always say, Lord, I do want to learn patience, but I wish you would hurry up. (laughs) My natural tendency is I want to pick up the seedling and see how it's doing. (laughs) prematurely. I want to keep ripping up the seedlings and don't give it a chance to mature. But what happens when I keep doing this, when you keep doing this, what happens? We are forcing God to do what He really does not want to do. We force God to keep on planting the same seed over and over and over again. We force God to keep going over the same grounds in our lives. Why? Because we refuse to learn the lessons that he wants us to learn. Now, while the farmer is waiting for the harvest, he's not idle. He's not sitting on his blessed assurance doing nothing. He is not sitting in his hammock and sipping lemonade. No, 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 no. A farmer works All year round, they are working on the barns and getting them prepared for the harvest. They are sharpening their tools, getting ready for the harvest. They are pulling weeds and, and maintaining healthy environment for the crop. They are investing sweat and aching muscles while they're waiting for the crop. The farmer is constantly working. And when James said, wait patiently... He is not suggesting that we sit back and do nothing and just wait for God to do it all. That is not what the farmer does. But like the farmer who's waiting for the time of the harvest, we are constantly witnessing, we're constantly praying, we're constantly interceding, we're constantly giving, we're constantly studying the Word of God so that we may reap a harvest of maturity and wisdom. Now, there are some people who think that waiting for the Lord... And waiting for the Lord's return particularly, and you read it throughout history. If somebody comes and prophesied a day, then the Lord is going to come in X, Y, and Z. And I told you some stories in the past. A lot of people put on the white robes and head for the hills. They're waiting for the Lord. Think if you go up to the mountain, be closer to the Lord when He returns. But that's not what God said. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Work till I come. In fact, he said in Luke 12 43, Blessed is the servant whom his master finds working when he comes. He's not going to find them idle, doing nothing. That is not a good, faithful servant. Let me tell you a story to illustrate what I mean the difference between waiting and watching for the return of the Lord. And it's a true story that's told by a Scottish preacher who actually lived in this particular town where a lot of mariners... uh, He was telling a story about one of those ships where many of the men of the village were on that ship, and they went out and were away for, for several weeks. On their way back, they can see from a distance the loved ones standing at the dock, on the dock there, waiting, watching for the loved ones to come ashore. And the skipper grabs a pair of binoculars and he started identifying some of the women who are standing at the dock waiting and watching. He said, oh, I see Bill's Mary. I see Tom's wife, Janet. I see David's wife, Anne. And he named every one of his men except one. One man did not hear the name of his wife mentioned. And you can imagine his heart was pounding. What happened? Why she's not there? Is she sick? Did she die while I'm away? And with pain and grief and worry and concern and anxiety, as soon as the lines were secured and the ship was fastened, that sailor leaps out of the ship into the dock, runs up the hill to his cottage where he lived, and as soon as he got to the cottage, he flings the doors open, and when his wife sees him, she runs to him, and she said, I've been waiting for you. But with a deep sense of disappointment in his voice, he says to her, yes, but the other men's wives were watching for them. Are you watching for the Lord's return? If you are watching for His return, and not just say, I'm waiting you're going to find that even in the worst trials of your life, you are going to experience victory because your eyes are fixed on that great day of the harvest. Look at verse 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you be judged. When James talks about judgment, he's not talking about the judgment of hell because the believer had escaped the judgment of hell. But there is going to be a time for the believers, the day of their rewards. In fact, one of the characteristics of farmers is that they're always helping each other, that they're always encouraging one another, that they're always lending hands to each other, that they're always supporting one another. They will not waste their energy and their time attacking each other and fighting over silly things that are not important to them. They've got too much work to do. Something modern-day churches need to learn from the farmers. There are churches, and some Christians are forever griping and complaining and murmuring. They need to learn from these farmers. We ought to be busy serving God instead of being busybodies. We need to be busy working for God instead of picking on each other. For, beloved, listen to me, if we start using the sickles on each other, they will not be ready for the harvest. And then the second example that James gives us is that of the prophets of old. Verse 10. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So what is he saying here? He's saying that many times when you are fully committed to obeying the will of God in your life, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face obstacles, and you're going to face difficulties. Sometimes suffering can be a direct, direct result of obedience. And that is why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, here's what he said, Indeed, all. How many? All. all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't make the stuff up. It's in the word of God. Amen. I know that in these confusing times that many Christians and Christian preachers want to rip that out of the Bible. As soon as some believer goes into trial or facing difficulty or suffering of any kind that's not of their own doing, some of these Pharisees and, and legalists in these churches immediately declare, oh, he or she must have unconfessed sin. They must have a hidden sin. Now listen to me. (laughs) They are like Job's comforters of old. That's what they are. They were adamant that Job must have sinned. That's why he's in the trouble he's in. (laughs) And no matter what Job says, it made no difference. They were convinced in their own minds. They made up their own minds, and they don't want to be confused by the facts. Uh, These miserable people occupy the throne of judgment and often think that they know better than God. Uh, These judges and executioners, out of arrogance, they pass judgment on one another. They make pronouncements on the suffering saints. And beloved, I want to tell you that this is not only cruel, but most often these folks are covering for their own sins. But not only that, I want to speak to that faithful Christian who needlessly hard on themselves, who are constantly blaming themselves for everything. They're carrying false guilt that does not belong to them. They often beat themselves up for circumstances with which they had nothing to do. I want to speak to that person for a moment, because these folks are continuously beating themselves up and saying, well, I must have sinned and I must have done something wrong and I'm just not recognizing it. Uh, God must be mad at me and He must be punishing me. Listen to me. If you have been a faithful spouse and your spouse walked out on you, that is not your burden. If you've been a faithful parent and your adult child has wandered away from the fold, that is not your burden. If you have been a hard-working, loyal employee and your boss is mistreating you, that is not your burden. If you have been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, don't automatically assume that God is punishing you because of some sin. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us when we sin. And I've taught about this many times. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you come to the Lord, you confess the sin, you repent of it, and you move on. Don't go over it again and again and again and again. That is not of God. Listen to me. This is not the God of the Bible. Maybe some other God. That's a false perception of our God. Because that is not our heavenly daddy. (laughs) You see, God is not the God who delights in hurting his children and leaving them bewildered and confused. It was Paul's obedience to the will of God that brought him a whole bunch of sufferings. From stoning, to lashing, to imprisonment, to shipwreck. It was the obedience of the disciples. Every one of them was martyred, save one, the Apostle John. And the Old Testament saints that James is talking about here, every one of them suffered for speaking the truth. And God gives them to us as an example for encouragement. He's showing us that suffering made them strong, not weak. Their suffering made them stand their ground, not run away. Elijah told Ahab, it's going to be three and a half years without rain. And Elijah himself became a victim of that drought, but God took care of him. And when Daniel made up his mind that God must be obeyed above man, he ended up in the den of lions. Isaiah spoke fearlessly for God during the most turbulent times in the history of Israel. And although he impacted King Hezekiah for good, but rabbinic tradition tells us that his evil, wicked son, Hezekiah's evil and wicked son, not only persecuted but executed the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Jeremiah, you see such deep anguish in his soul that he became known as the weeping prophet. Why did all these servants of God suffer as they did? So that God's power be manifested in them. Why did the faithful servants of God suffer? Oh, so that they may have an eloquent testimony for us. Beloved, listen to me. I tell you this experientially. The better you know God, the better you know His Word, the greater your encouragement during the fiery trials of life. So he gives us the example of the farmer, he gives us the example of the prophets, and thirdly, finally, he gives us the example of Job. Listen to me. I'm no stranger to brokenness in life. But what I get really irritated when I read the book of Job, I get irritated by the so-called Job's comforters. (laughs) I mean... You've heard me say this, and you'll hear it probably again for the rest of my life, that the times of my brokenness are the times of my great growth in the walk, my walk with the Lord. When the sun is shining and everything is going well, that's not the time when I'm growing the most. For in reality, there is no victory without battles. You will not rejoice in victory if you did not know the pain of defeat. <laughs> You will never sympathize with another person who's hurting until you've experienced that hurt yourself. Most often, we really do not understand what prayer really is all about and what it really means until we're going through the fiery furnace. And then we begin to really understand. Until we really hit our knees to the ground, I'm not talking about physical knees, but emotional and spiritual, we'll understand for my friend, I want to tell you, God has a goal for each one of his children. If you're a believer, God has a goal for you. And this is articulated in the whole Bible. And God's goal for you is your spiritual maturity. It's your spiritual maturity. You see, God does not raise up spoiled brats. He wants spiritual mature children. Think about it. We're going to reign and rule with him In the universe, we're going to reign over planets. And that is why he matures us, so we can be ready. The story of Job is well known, and I'm not going to rehash it. First, Job was a blessed man. Satan goes after him. And then he loses everything and goes through so much pain that you and I will never know. We'll never know. And because of his perseverance, because of his faithfulness, God honors that. And he doubles everything that he had in the past. He doubles everything. But before that, everything was working against Job. Satan was working against him day and night. His circumstances were against him. His friends <laughs> definitely were against him. His wife was against him. And she said, Curse God and die. And even he was tempted at times to think that God was against him. But in reality, what God was doing is that he was weaving. He was weaving a beautiful tapestry in his life for God's glory and Job's blessing. He was weaving. He was overturning what Satan meant for evil and God turning it for the good. God was working together. Even Job couldn't see it, but he was working things together for Job, good, for the good. I want to tell you this as I conclude, and I hope you're listening carefully, please. Whatever pain you're going through right now, only you know and God knows, whatever it is. Whatever suffering you might be experiencing right now, God is working behind the scenes and He's moving the scenes that He's behind. When Satan turns up the heat, run into the air-conditioned throne room of God. When Satan increases the attack, go and have a times of refreshment with the Lord. When plowing and planting becomes difficult and becomes a struggle, look forward to that glorious day of the harvest. When you don't see fruit instantly of your labor. Remember that God is germinating the seed. He's germinating the seed. And that is why James in verse 12 goes on to say, don't be tempted to be untruthful, because people always lie when they're on the fire. They lie when they're afraid. Don't be tempted to lie. You know how people sometimes when they Lying the, oh, I swear by God, and I'll tell you this and everything. Once you talk too much, and you know the guy's not telling you the truth. <laughs> he said, don't do that. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and that's sufficient. As long as God knows, that's all that matters. Because when you place your whole trust, not just a little bit of it, your whole trust, your full trust in God, you will endure with patience and perseverance and enjoy Shall we pray together? For those who are continuously forcing God's hand to replant the same seed, I pray that the Spirit brought you under conviction and say, Lord Jesus, I want to learn the lesson and move on to the next stage. For those who are suffering and experiencing trials in life and puzzling circumstances, that's totally out of their control. Say, Lord God, help me to look up to heaven and have hope in Jesus, and in the day of the harvest. And wherever you are, whatever circumstance you're in, the Lord knows exactly where it is. It is my prayer that God, the Holy Spirit, will do His work in you and in me that we truly walk out of here, not the same way as we came in. If there is a person here today who says, you know what? been to church all my life, but I really never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, never received Him as Savior and Lord. What could be a great time to have Jesus Christ be born in you? Say, come, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. I repent. Come, dwell in me by your Holy Spirit that I become a child of the living God. So wherever you are, God knows, and your prayer is to Him. Father, we thank you that you hear even the unsaid words. You hear the unspoken words as well as the spoken ones. And so we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to come penetrate deep into every heart. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.